for those of you that are visiting, we've been doing a, a series out of Philippians for many weeks now, um, looking at living joyfully as Christians. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, that's always a challenge, isn't it? Because there's so many things that pressurize us in our culture and in our lives. And uh, there's this sense that Paul encourages the Philippian church that there is a way to live joyfully no matter what the circumstances are in your life. And so that's what I'm trying to help us see and understand. And so the whole series is called Joyful Christian Living. How can we live joyfully as Christians? And we've been looking, last week I had a look at what Paul says, where he says, my life is as poured out as a drink offering on the, on the sacrificial faith of your life. And we looked at that portion together. That Paul says God is doing a big thing in your life. He's doing an amazing thing in all of you as, as, as Christians. And my role is just to be the, a drink offering, which was the, a separate offering, a second offering that was poured out after the main offering was made by the, the, New Test, the Old Testament priests. And Paul says that's, that's kind of how I am for you. My life is poured out on what God is already doing. And I encouraged you last week that we can learn to link arms and be a drink offering for each other that we can comfort each other, that we can stand with each other, just as Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to do. All right. And so we're going to look now, this morning, I'm going to look at, uh, over the next couple of weeks, at uh, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, because that's the next little section. And basically, um, these are three really, really good men, Paul, Epaphroditus, and Timothy. And so I've called this message this morning, Paul the Father and Timothy the Son. And we're going to look at Paul and Timothy today. But as, as an introduction, uh, I just want to say for this portion, it's, it, it is hard for us sometimes to connect with what Paul is saying here because we really live in an uh, age of absolutely instant communication. We have satellites, we have uh, phones, we have whatever you want to communicate to someone else, you can do instantly. And here, Paul's motivation for sending Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi is to communicate. And we find, that find, we, we find that quite strange, don't we? That someone had to actually physically go from one place to another to take a letter and to communicate what Paul wanted to say to them. But that really is, is the context. There was a slow communication in, in Paul's time. And so the context is that this group of people, this group of men had left the church in Philippi and they were heading for Rome. And they were going to Rome to visit Paul. And they know he's a prisoner there. He's... Um, uh, waiting to be tried before Caesar. And normally Paul was a guy that kind of, with his own hands, he took care of himself. And so he made tents and he, he was a leather worker. And so that's what he did for a living while he was preaching. And so obviously he's in prison, he can't do that anymore. And so they're bringing a gift. The Philippian church has given a financial gift to Paul and it's been taken to him. And along the way, in this long, slow journey, Epaphroditus falls really ill. And uh, he, it says he's so ill that they think he's going to die. And so there's this situation. He's desperately ill. And they're trying to get news back to the church in Philippi that he's ill. And so um, people think that someone was sent back uh, to tell the, the, the uh, church at Philippi what had happened. But um, they had not yet heard this news of Epaphroditus being so ill. So remember, there's not even a postal service yet. The Romans had started sending messages along the roads that they had built, but it wasn't like a postal service like we know, right? It took days and days and days for a rider to take one little parchment from one place to the other to communicate. And so um, you didn't just pick up the phone. And so that's why long term now, 
Paul has found it necessary to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. He's obviously recovered from illness, and he wants Epaphroditus to do two things, to take his letter to the church in Philippi and to encourage them from that, and also, secondly, that they can see if Epaphroditus has, has recovered, that he's well. And so there's this dual kind of uh, reason that Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Okay? So having said that, Let's read together these amazing verses, verse 19 to 24. And here Paul writes, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself also will come. And so as I said, we're going to look at these uh, examples of these three really good men. I'm going to look at Paul and Timothy today and Epaphroditus next week. And as a kind of basis for that, I, I just want to point an interesting thing out to you. Remember at the beginning of chapter 2, what does Paul encourage the Philippians to do? He said, I want you to be this kind of person, these kind of people. Don't look only to your own interests. Be genuinely concerned for others. Have the same attitude, the same mentality as Jesus, who although he had equality with God, he was equal in every way. He left the glory in heaven and he humbled himself and he became like a slave to you. He became like a servant to you. Paul says, I want you to all be like that to each other. Remember, he's encouraged people at the beginning of chapter 2 to live like this. And now we see at the end of chapter 2 that Paul and Timothy are living examples of the very thing that he's been encouraging other people to do. We can see it in how he lives and how he communicates with these people that he's being the very thing that he was encouraging others to do. And so let's look for, first at Paul. Do you notice in verse 19, this is what he says. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Do you notice that his hope for the future is in the Lord? Do you notice that? Very simple things this morning. His hope for the future is in the Lord. I want to ask you, I want to encourage you, where's your hope for the future for this year? Where is it genuinely? I'm not accusing you. I'm, I'm asking you to think about it, to meditate on it. Where is your hope really? Is it in your salary packet? Is it in hoping that our politicians are going to get something together so that chaos doesn't happen? Uh, where, where is your hope really? Because Paul says, my hope for the future is in the Lord. And I want to encourage you that this year, all of us together as a community can learn more and more, more and more deeply what it means to genuinely put our hope, our trust in the future in Jesus. Okay, I'm not saying I know exactly what that looks like, but I am encouraging you as I'm encouraging myself. Let's put our hope genuinely for the future in the one who is sovereign over us, the one that we can trust. Amen? So Paul, certainly in saying that, he's saying a very fundamental thing. He's saying that I have my plans. Oh, these are the things that I hope to do. This is what I'm trusting is going to happen. But you know what? At the end of the day, God is sovereign and He can change my plans. My hope is in Him for the future. 
And I think all of us could learn from that, that we can learn to live with our hands a little bit uh, open-handed, that whatever we are planning, we hold it lightly, because actually, Jesus, you can do something completely different. I have a dear friend who I've known for many years, a guy called Mike Altringham, who leads a church in Dubai, went there many years ago, planted an amazing church. It's over 1,000 people, has multiple sites in Dubai. Great, great guy. Loves Jesus, loves the gospel, serving the Lord. Just before Christmas, he's a couple of years older than me. He had a massive embolism, and he's been in a coma for the last two weeks. Doesn't look like he's going to survive. Why do I say that to you? Because I've just been a little bit sobered by that. I thought, Jesus, you know what? I've got all my plans. I've got all these long-term plans of what I want to do. I want to grow up and see my grandchildren. I want to see them, my boys get married. I want to see them have successful careers. I'm sure Mike wanted that for his family as well, didn't he? And suddenly, instantly, something changes. My hope for the future can only be in God's sovereign plan for my life. I want to encourage you with that. Secondly, do you notice Paul's deep love for people? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And what does he say? So that I too might be cheered by news of you. Yeah? News of you. He wanted to hear their news. He wanted to hear how they were doing. He had a genuine concern for them. What would cheer him most was to hear that that church was thriving and that church was doing well. That's what he would have longed to hear more than anything else. Do you notice, thirdly, that he reckoned that he had a fatherly responsibility for those that he worked with? Do you notice that? He uses this wonderful language of relationship. He says, why, did I, why does he plan to send Timothy to you? I said, he simply says, for I have no one else like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. They, everyone seeks over their own interests, but he faithfully has served me as a son serves his father. I find, that, I find that so amazing. Do you notice he doesn't use the language of institution? He doesn't use the language of, uh, of um, formal language. He uses the, the language of, of love. He doesn't say, Timothy, serve me like an apostle with his co-workers. No, he doesn't say, Timothy, serve with me like a master and a faithful servant. He served me. No, he says, Timothy, served with me in this family that we have as a father works with his son. It's the language of love. It's the language of relationship. Too much of the church has become institutional. It's become uh, a business. It's become, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like we have this kind of formal thing that happens in church, and it's not the New Testament. The New Testament is about love. It's about family. It's about people genuinely journeying together over the course of their lives. And we have this thing that church has to be a certain way. I think we've inherited some stuff that's very unhelpful, it's particularly with mega church kind of models that actually don't speak about relationship, don't really speak about sharing your life. It's like a preaching center where people come. It is a great sort of worship concert where we could all be entertained for a while, but we don't genuinely walk with each other. I don't think that's what the New Testament says. Genuinely, Paul shows here with a language of love that he has a responsibility towards these people and towards Timothy as a father does as a, together with a son. Do you notice lastly for Paul that he, um, he places a high value on contact with people? Do you notice that? He says... Um, 
he says, I, I trust that I too myself can come in verse 24. As, as much as he can genuinely trust to send Timothy ahead of him, as much as he loves writing letters and all those things are important, he, uh, they're all good. But he's saying, at the end of the day, I too want to be with you. <laughs> I love you. I want to be with you, Paul says. And so he has this genuine, genuine um, concern to connect with these people that he loves with all of his heart. And so Paul is living out what he said at the beginning of the chapter. He's, he's not only looking out for things that are, are, are of concern to him. He's genuinely looking out for the concerns and interests of these people. He's got the same attitude as Jesus. He's humbling himself. He's becoming a servant to them. Some good things we can notice about Paul. Do you notice, secondly, we're going to look at Timothy briefly. Do you notice it's exactly the same for Timothy? He too is willing to be a slave. He too is willing to be a servant. I find this remarkable. I really do. Because Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. You know, I'm sure Timothy as a young man had his own dreams and visions for his life. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure, you know, young guys are full of energy, aren't they? They're going to take the world. They're going to, try, they're going to, they're going to change the world. Come on. That's a good thing, to have that passion and energy to say, I'm going to make this world different. And I'm sure that Timothy had that beating in his heart. But he was prepared to work alongside an older man and to be a servant to not only that man, but to the plans of the gospel through that man. Do you notice that? I find that amazing. This young guy says, okay, uh, if Paul says, he's like a father to me. If, if, if he says it's good for me to go and do this, I'm going to trust him. I'm, I'm going to be part of the team. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it together. And I'm trusting in that, that my own desires for my life will be worked out, but I'm trusting that through this guy, Paul, I'm going to see something of the kingdom come. That is an incredible thing. He's unusual. Do you notice that? Timothy is an unusual man because he was able to surrender something of his own desires for the sake of the gospel, to see the gospel thrive. And so Paul says of him, He's, he's, you can trust this guy. Why? Because he's genuinely concerned for you. <laughs> he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. And I don't think Paul has been critical. I, I don't think he's saying of other people that there's no one else that serves in this way. He's just saying, Timothy, he's quite an unusual guy. He's one of the few. He's an exception in that way that he's able to do this in such an obvious way. And the reason why he's able to do that is because he's become like a son to me. This is not a functional thing. This is not an institutional thing. This is, a, this is a, a thing of relationship. It's a thing of love. And do you notice that he says what Paul most looks for is people that have proved themselves. People that have proved themselves in what they have done for God. And in some way, this letter really is also, it's, um, it's an introduction to the Philippian church for the ministry that Timothy is going to do there. So in a way, Paul is introducing Timothy. But this is what I find fascinating. He doesn't, he doesn't point to any great things that Timothy has done. There's no paper certificate. There's no qualification. Uh, basically, I, I dislike sitting under introductions. I have to be honest with you. When you sit in a conference or whatever, or you hear about a speaker or writer, what, what, are, what are you always told to make you feel that you need to hear that person? You're always told about their successes. You're told about their achievements, the books that they've written, 
the educational qualifications. You're told about the fame that they might have, how they've met with this famous person or that famous person. And uh, generally in church life, when you talk about that with pastors, what first comes up is the size of the church, how fast it has grown uh, since the pastor began his ministry there. And if, if, it, if it is a big church that has grown fast, the inference is that those are the things that are most important, and that's, why, that, that's what qualifies that person to lead, and actually that's why you should listen to them, because they have been successful. And we need successful people. I'm not saying we don't. But do you notice that Paul does not say one thing about Timothy's successes? Do you notice that? Not one thing. He doesn't tell how many people Timothy has preached to, how many people were converted on his ministry. He didn't say he's written anything. He didn't say these are the important people that Timothy has uh, worked with, and that's why you can trust him. He says a very simple thing. He, d- he doesn't speak about Timothy as a great orator or preacher. He says simply, you can trust this man because he's a humble man that has served you and loves you. That's why you can trust him. I put it to you, I'm not church bashing this morning, but I put it to you, much of the churches we live in, uh, in our modern world, exactly the opposite. I'm not saying that they're not people that lead large churches that are successful and genuinely love people. But it seems to me, when I look at the church at large, that what is most, most elevated is the success of this and the size of that and this, and, uh, this thousand amount of albums and these are the things that are lifted up. Uh, it seems to me, and maybe I'm just crazy, it seems to me it's incredibly worldly. Paul says you can trust this guy. Why? Because he's a humble man who loves you, who served you, who hasn't run away when it's been tough. That's why you can trust him. Man, it's challenging. When the chips are down, Timothy didn't bolt. That's why you can trust him. So I put it to you that in the New Testament, success is about being someone who's able to persevere under trial. Uh, we, we can all do it when it's going well, isn't it right? <laughs> we, can, we find it easy to, to persevere when things are going well. But when things are tough, it's hard to persevere. That's what success is in the New Testament. Trusting the sovereignty of God in your life, no matter what the season, whether it's good or whether it's difficult. And lastly, our weather worship was a bit longer this morning, so I'll I'll try and be brief this morning. Do you notice, well, third, I've got four points. The third point is this. Do you notice that in sending Timothy to the church in Philippi, Paul is implying that he's, he's sending the best thing, the best gift that he possibly has for that church. Do you notice that? He's saying, these people, these are the best gifts that I can give to you to help you and to build you up. Now, we know that the Philippian church has been incredibly generous to Paul. In in, in chapter 4, he will thank them for the money that they've sent, and they've been incredibly generous to him. But he says, really, he's saying the best gifts that I can give to you as, as Philippians are these two men, Epaphroditus and Timothy. I want to encourage you, how do we see each other? Do we see each other as incredible gifts that God has given into our lives? Do we see people as gifts that can encourage us and refresh us and build us up and walk with us? 
or are we more functional? Are you with me? I think, I think we, we need to think about church and community and life just completely differently because that's what the Bible says. We say we're Christians, we believe the Bible. Well, let's try and help each other understand community in a biblical way. Okay? Are you still, you still love me? <laughs> okay. And because Paul says this is the best gift that he can, it implies this a second thing. It implies that it's a sacrifice for Paul to give this man to him. He's in jail. He can't do anything for himself. He, he, he needs people to, to help him. And so in a very real sense, it is a sacrifice for Paul to send Timothy the best gift that he can give to this church. It's a sacrifice for Paul. And so it is like that for us, isn't it? In, in, in how we try and help other churches. It's always a sacrifice to send the best gifts of people that you have to go and help build other communities. And part of what God has called us to do in this church is to be a blessing to other church communities. And so over the years, we've sent people to Europe, to Germany, to I'm going to the, the Estonia in a couple of weeks and to go and help churches there. Why? Because we want to be a blessing to those churches. We want to be a blessing to the church in, in, in Cambodia. We want to be a blessing to Buna. We want to take the best of what we have and give it as a gift away freely. Why? Because God has blessed us with so much. That's why we go. It's not apostolic tourism. It's not kind of, let's go and see a new place in the world. It's no, how can we build? How can we help? How can we see some of the kingdom come? And that's true for all of us, wherever we are, whatever gifts we have that God wants us to use. And lastly, I believe this. Paul is promoting Timothy's ministry. And at the same time, he's preparing the Philippian church for when he won't be around. Yeah? He's hoping to get out of prison. But he knows that his life on this earth is coming to an end. He knows that his days are numbered. He knows that he's getting towards the end of his ministry. And so what is he doing? He's saying, I want you to start trusting in people that are going to take this thing further than what I've taken it. That's what Paul is preparing him for. That's what he's saying to the Philippian church. And so he's promoting the ministry of, of, of someone like Timothy. I've noticed this. I'm 55 now. And I've been around for a while. And I've noticed this particularly where I come from in Africa. You know, this is true all over the world. But, you know, dictators don't often prepare successes. What dictator do you know that has groomed a successor? No, dictators are determined to have power for themselves. And everybody else is going to be killed. I've been watching a program on ancient Rome and Julius Caesar and all of those emperors. They killed even their own children so that they could have power. Absolute despots. Absolute dictators. Well, my friends, Paul is just not like that. <laughs> he, he's saying what? He's saying, I'm living for a kingdom that is beyond myself. I am living for an eternal glory that is to come. And this church needs to carry on after I've gone. So the best thing I can do for you Philippians is send this greatest gift that I have, these two men, Epaphroditus and Timothy, that are going to do you good. They're going to help you. And long after I've gone, they're going to help this thing to continue and thrive. He's genuinely preparing for the future. And so part of our call in this church, we were talking, Helen and I, what is this church going to look like in 50 years? Who's going to be leading it? 
I hope it's going to be thriving. I hope it's not even in this building anymore. I hope it's in another building with thousands of people that love Jesus with all their hearts. And there's great worship and there's great gospel preaching. Still the same message that doesn't change. It's helping the culture be transformed. I hope 50 years from now, this church is thriving. Because I'm going to be dead, long gone. <laughs> I'm going to be in heaven. Me and uh, we, we will be in heaven together, yeah? <laughs> and we will be worshiping the king, and we'll be joining with all of you that have joined us in heaven. But here on earth, this work is going to be carrying on. That's my prayer, that this work is going to be thriving and carrying on. What does that take from us now? It takes us helping to prepare this community for those that are going to lead it in 10 and 20 and 30 years' time. Amen. That's what Paul did. These are amazing men. And so Paul is saying in all of what he's doing, he's not protecting his ministry. It's not my thing. You know, too much of church life is there's a guy on top and don't try and upstage, you know, I, I, when I grew up in Pente Pentecostal circles, there was this phrase. Have you ever heard this phrase? And it's true, but it was used in a not such a cool way. <laughs> don't you touch the Lord's anointed. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> it's true. We, we shouldn't be manipulating and trying to control. But at the same time, it's not like a top-down, don't you touch me. I'm the anointed one. No, it's not like that. It's not like that for Paul. It's not like, it wasn't like that for Jesus. It's not like that in the New Testament. There's genuine people loving each other from the heart, walking through their lives together, being humble, serving as Christ served, so that the whole church can prosper and thrive. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for what you've done this morning. Uh, thank you for the freedom that we have to worship, the freedom that we have to enjoy your presence in this nation. We, we don't want to take that for granted. We recognize right now, all over the world, there are people that do not have the freedom that we have here. And we rejoice in that. We say thank you, Father. And Father, I pray at the same time for our future as a church, for all that you're doing with us. I thank you for the future of every family that's represented here and the, the, the other families that are not here today. We know that we can trust you with our future. We are so grateful, Lord, for your sovereign hand over us. And I pray, Lord, that this year we would live with joy, that we would live with freedom, that we would live knowing that our lives are secure. Whatever comes, our lives are secure because you, your sovereign hands are under our lives. Lord, it's, uh, I pray for everyone that's having a wonderful season in their life. We want to celebrate with them and enjoy the good things that you're blessing so many with in this church. And Lord, for those that have had tough things with fa families or friends, we, we know that uh, at the same time as we rejoice with those, we also mourn with those that are going through difficult things. But we want to confidently say, Lord, that our trust is in you in your sovereign plan, in every good thing that you have for us. And so we rejoice, Lord. We, we, we thank you that we can live with confidence. We can live with joy because you are a great God and your love is amazing.
thank you for what you've done for us as a church. We look forward for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years to what you're still going to do with us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone says, Amen.